I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. With Lee Lonsberry, from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, taxes, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome to this Friday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. You are listening to KSL News Radio. And I'm incredibly grateful that you have chosen to spend the next few hours uh, hanging out with yours truly, shooting the breeze about the goings on around this great state, around the country, and around the world. 2021 has come on pretty strong, huh? Would you would you believe it that only this past Monday was the first episode of the year? I, I took Friday off to be with the family, and so my first day back was this past Monday. We are only a week into 2021, and it feels like it has been a year and a half on its own. What I want to do for this first segment as you and I uh, start our conversation today, I want to walk through some of the things that we have learned over the past 24 hours since you and I parted ways after the uh, end of yesterday's episode. A lot has happened. Uh, I'm going to share just a kind of a brief look at what we're going to cover on today's program today. We will look at uh, President Trump's announcements uh, not to attend the inauguration. That came just a few short hours ago via uh, Twitter. The president said, quote, uh, let me get this exactly right. He said, to all those, to all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. To all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. One of the shorter tweets, put out by the president in recent months. Again, this coming three hours ago, uh, President Donald Trump not attending the inauguration. I am aware of some efforts uh, by lawmakers uh, on the Republican side of things urging him to change his mind, making the argument that his presence uh, would be a good thing, a positive, a unifying uh, and a reassuring gesture. What I'm going to do later on in the program we're going to discuss this at greater length. I'll share with you some of the more specifics uh, about the history of uh, outgoing presidents uh, attending or not attending the inauguration proceedings of their successors. It's only happened three times in history. And when I say history, I'm talking like the way back black and white kind of history, right? Before, before we had uh, iPads and cell phones. Yeah, years and years ago. Uh, I'll share with you a a quick look at that history, and then I'm going to open up the phones and ask a very important question of you, and that is, uh, first, a two-part question. First, should President Trump reconsider his decision to forego the inauguration? And second, in his absence, 
should Vice President Mike Pence attend in his stead? So uh, just start thinking about that later on in the program. I'm going to open the phone lines uh, to you to hear exactly what it is uh, you think on that front. Uh, We're now, what, 13, 12 days away or so? I've got a countdown uh, that had it measured down to the hour. I'll share that uh, later on once I double-check it. Uh, Another question I have uh, stems from another tweet coming from President Trump uh, yesterday evening. And it was uh, essentially the first formal recognition that come January 20th, it will not be the Trump administration uh, guiding the executive branch of government of this great nation, but rather that the next administration will take its place. Uh, President Trump, I, I guess you could interpret it as a concession. Uh, He uh, committed to a peaceful transfer of power. I'll play for you his words exactly, and I'm anxious to hear uh, your reaction to that. Uh, But I want to, for the next few minutes, uh, talk to you about one of the more heartbreaking things that we have learned over the past 24 hours, and that is the unfortunate passing of Capitol Police officer uh, in the United States Capitol following uh, Wednesday's unfortunate events. Uh, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick died uh, from injuries sustained during the events of Wednesday on the grounds of the United States Capitol. Uh, Who who is this young man? 42 years old, youngest of three sons. He's from South River, New Jersey. And in 1997, graduated from Middlesex County Technical Vocational High School and joined the New Jersey Air National Guard that very same year. His brother, speaking to USA Today, said... Uh, that Sicknick always wanted to be a police officer. He wanted to be a police officer his entire life. This is, again, a family statement from the brother, Ken Sicknick, of uh, slain Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. The statement continues by saying he, quote, served his country honorably and made his family very proud. Brian is a hero, and that is what he would like people to remember. In 1999, Sicknick, uh, this again according to reporting by the USA Today, and I am grateful to them for uh, paying attention to and digging up these details about the background and the honorable life lived by this United States Capitol Police officer uh, who has lost his life as a result uh, of injuries sustained during the events of Wednesday. You heard that pause in my voice there. Uh, Let me explain I am still working out exactly how to characterize what happened on Wednesday. Uh, the, the, to call it a protest is a, a broad and general enough uh, definition. I think that's fair and safe. Uh, but what do you think? 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, help me with my language here moving forward. What happened on Wednesday? What happened Wednesday that ultimately led to the loss of life of a United States Capitol Police officer? who in 1999 deployed to Saudi Arabia in support of Operation Southern Watch. After September 11th, uh, he participated in Operation uh, Enduring Freedom, the Iraq War. 2003, honorably discharged. This according to a spokeswoman for the New Jersey National Guard. Now what happened? What happened? How did he die? We don't know. U.S. Capitol Police in the statement said that uh, he died due to injuries sustained while on duty. He was injured while physically engaging with protesters. He was taken to the hospital. 
and he died at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Thursday. The Associated Press made contact with two law enforcement officials who, not identifying themselves, uh, did state that Sicknick, Officer Sicknick, uh, was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Will there be charges? Law enforcement has said, as well as lawmakers, that this crime, they've identified it as such, will be investigated and responsible parties will be brought to justice at the federal level. Now, uh, I am also aware that there are movements among lawmakers to, uh, to allow Officer Sicknick to lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda. Now, this, uh, of course, will uh, all be up to the family, uh, but Fox News, specifically Chad Pergram at Fox News, has learned that the, uh, this option has been made available to the family if they would like. Again, uh, allowing the slain body of U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick to lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda after he died following the events of Wednesday. Wednesday broke my heart. It's still healing. There are a mountain of questions to ask today, and the answers will be a slow trickle for the, uh, the coming weeks and months and maybe even years. The mess that was made on Wednesday will take a very long time to clean up. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, we're going to look at one of the messes made on Wednesday, and that has to do with the compromises They're compromising of electronic security. We've seen how many images of the protesters making their way into the office spaces of various members of Congress, specifically the Speaker of the House, most recently revealed that a laptop was stolen from that office. What does that mean for securing electronically the integrity of the operations of the United States Congress? We'll speak with the Director of Technology Projects with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, John Callis, my guest next. On Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.